Father, thank you that we can come to you and lift up our requests and, and not have to worry about them, Lord, because you care for us. And Lord, thank you that we can know that your throne is a throne of grace and that when we ask, you hear. And Lord, that you will answer according to your word. Uh, Lord, your will be done. Have your way in every request and help us to see uh, as you answer prayer, help us to see how you're working so that we'll do a good job of giving testimony so that people will hear the good news of, of, of salvation, but also the good news of how, as a father, you're at work in the lives of your children. We want to we we give good report. And so help us not to be clueless as you move. Give us eyes to see uh, these answers to prayer. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, we are in Proverbs chapter 13. If you want a set of hard copy notes, raise your hand and, and uh, the Connections team can hook you up. But we're, in, we're just gonna keep going. You'll notice the outline starts with uh, point number three. Well, that's where we're at in the outline. And, and so you notice I give you these notes three hole punched. So you can, you'll, you'll have to have one of those big two inch binders, maybe a four inch binder by the time we get done with this series. But uh, You'll, you'll, what's the outline? What's the page number on the outline now? 80, 91? Oh yeah, it'll be over 200 pages before it's all said and done. Did anybody do the math on how long it's gonna to take to get through Proverbs? No. Okay, we're still contrasting the righteous and the wicked and, and here we're gonna see their hopes and fears. Uh, really down through verse 19, 12 through 19. We won't get through all of it today. Uh, so the hopes and the fears of the righteous and the wicked. Verse 12, we'll see uh, a perspective of frustration versus fulfillment. Hope deferred maketh the heart sick, but when the desire cometh, it is a tree of life. So hope deferred, it's, I mean, you want it. Uh, you see the value. You want it, but you can't have it. How do we illustrate that? Well, with every rock ballad ever, I'm all out of love. I'm so lost without you, you know. I mean, hope deferred. I thought she was gonna be in my life, but she's not, and, and so I'm gonna grow long hair and wear creepy clothes and, and, and croon. Okay, so you want and you can't have, and, and so hope's deferred, and now your heart's sick, the heart aches. Here's a good example from scripture. You guys know the story, it's after the crucifixion. So we could label this example a crucified hope. The disciples are walking, bumming, but all of a sudden they don't know that they're walking with Jesus, they don't have eyes to see the resurrected Messiah, and they're just explaining and complaining, and verse 21 says, but we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. We're just heartsick. I'm all out of love. I'm so lost without him. You know, so there it is, dejected. But then Jesus starts speaking, he starts explaining. And uh, in Luke 24, verse 27, it says, In the beginning of Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. 
And, uh, and they're getting so excited. They're getting so turned on by what they're hearing in the word. And they just, man, this guy, I mean, they've never heard anybody talk like, well, maybe they had, you know, but it, it sounds familiar. And, and so they, they invite him in for supper. And as he prays, asking the blessing on the meal, their eyes are open. They see Jesus for who he is, and then he vanishes. So what was a bummer walk, you know, this dejected walk, it's been the third day, everything's gone wrong. I mean, all the hopes deferred. Now they see the resurrected, the risen Savior for who he is. And so it's not dejected, they're dynamic. I mean, it's, 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 now it's just full on new hype. Uh, they're full. So they're not, they're not just dragging back to Jerusalem, are they? They're double timing back to Jerusalem. I mean, they're, they're so excited. And listen to how they're talking to one another on their way back to report Jesus is alive. Verse 32, and they said one to another, did not our heart burn within us while he, we should have known who it was. We should have known while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures. Uh, they're, they're, they're dynamic now. They're not dejected anymore. What this is, what we're seeing, is a hope delivered. That's what was given to them. Uh, now they're so excited. They just can't hide it, and they know, they know, they know that, okay, so they've got a reason. They're full of life now because they know the truth, and this is, the text says, a tree of life. When the desire cometh, it is a tree of life. We've already seen this concept in Scripture and in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 13, 19 says, the desire accomplished is sweet to the soul. Uh, You get charged up when you see what you know is right come to fruition. Proverbs 17, 22 says, a merry heart doeth like a good medicine. It's health for you, a merry heart. Uh, You can talk to doctors, maybe you've read about this in um, articles or medical reports, you know, this syndrome of a broken heart. People can have life come apart for them in horrific ways and it just tears them up in their heart. And, uh, and, and And literally through heart sickness, they can end up in a place where they're so despairing uh, it will cause them to lose their life. Well, a merry heart doeth good like a medicine. So the way it's described here in verse 12, when the desire cometh, it is a tree of life. Well, we've seen this as well, this tree of life. We're gonna see it again here in verse 19. Proverbs 13, verse 19, the desire accomplished is sweet to the soul. Uh, that, that, that medicine, that, there, there's a health benefit. Why is it, why is it that hope delivered builds you up or charges you up. Well, it's a picture of this tree of life, which is a big deal in the Word of God. You'll see it in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, Genesis 2, 9, and Revelation 22. But here's what we've seen so far in Proverbs. Proverbs 3.18, describing wisdom. What is wisdom? Wisdom is a tree of life. She is a tree of life to them that lay hold upon her. And happy is everyone that retaineth her. So we looked at wisdom being a tree of life. We looked at the fruit of the righteous in chapter 11, verse 30, as a tree of life. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And then we made application of that to a New Testament dispensation, to the dispensation of grace. What does fruit look like in the life of the believer? Galatians 5, 
describes the fruit of the Spirit in the life of the believer, Galatians 5, 22 through 26. And then we see it also, the fruit of the Spirit in the life of the believer, Ephesians 5, 9 through 11. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And the result of having this fruit manifest in your life is that you'll also be fruitful. And we talked about this tonight. Now, there's many, I mean, we could, we could, we could do a series on this, all the ways that a believer could be fruitful. Since we were talking about LFBI funding the training of ministers and missionaries, um, here's, here's the, the verse that I was referencing earlier, Philippians 4.17, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. And, and again, we could list 100 cross-references. A, a, a Christian who is manifesting the fruit of the Spirit, they're gonna be all in on God's kingdom. And that fruit will look like not just financially supporting Christ's kingdom, but you're actually gonna be a worker in that harvest. Uh, you can be fruitful in sharing the gospel. You can be fruitful in teaching the word, making disciples. You can be fruitful in seeing ministry multiply. Uh, the, 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 the tree of life, okay? The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. When you're walking in the Spirit, you're manifesting the fruit of the Spirit. That's not just blessing in your life, but God's using you in the lives of other people. And when you get to the judgment seat of Christ, who will be saying, man, I'm so glad God used you in my life. I didn't know the gospel and you were willing to speak up. Why? Because this believer, you were walking in the, in the spirit and so you were fruitful. You gave the gospel, somebody came to Christ. I was clueless, man, I was, I was a believer but I was wasting my life living it on myself and then you discipled me. Why? Because a believer is being fruitful. So the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. It's not just fruit that abounds to your account, but man, it's life in the lives of others. More people are coming to Christ. More people are learning Christ because you're willing. We're gonna see this concept one more time in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 15, verse four. We're gonna see a wholesome tongue. So it's really related to Proverbs eleven thirty very closely. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life if you wanna be industrious. Uh, you can compare those two passages. What's one of the ways that you're gonna be fruitful? Well, I just told you. God's gonna use you in the life of other people. Uh, a wholesome tongue, the Bible says, is a tree of life. Isn't that amazing? You study the tree of life in the Bible, and then God says your tongue can be a tree of life. Well, it can also be a tree of death. You can crucify people with it. Uh, check out what James has to say about your tongue. It's it's pretty inflammatory language. <laughs> it's, uh, you, it's like your tongue can be a monster. A wholesome tongue. Oh Lord, give us wholesome tongues. Okay, verse 13. So we see the frustration versus fulfillment. Hope deferred versus delivered. Now in verse 13, we're just gonna contrast, it's really 13 through 19, we're gonna contrast faith with failure. Verse 13 says, whoso despiseth the word shall be destroyed. I mean, I just ponder that concept. Whoso despiseth the word shall be destroyed. And I get all kinds of images, you know, kind of almost, I came this close to starting a drama ministry tonight. Um, if you disobey me one more time, 
I will knock you into next week. I mean, what are we talking about? Well, there's a word that's being ignored. Somebody's getting frustrated and they're about to react. (laughs) Whoso despiseth the word shall be destroyed. This This is strong stuff, isn't it? But he that feareth the commandment shall be rewarded. Um, we will, if we're going to get through Proverbs, we won't be able to, we won't be able to list out everything that is everywhere in every verse, okay? Uh, but automatically, if you're thinking in terms of a New Testament application, notice the difference in these two contrasting uh, teachings. The one that despises the word shall be destroyed. The one that feareth, that submits to the word, you see, the word here is commandment, God's word over your life, shall be rewarded. It doesn't say live, does it? So there's a, there's a beautiful picture for the New Testament dispensation, right, the church age, the, 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 the dispensation of grace. Uh, we have eternal security, don't we? It's not an issue, you know, the, 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 the Christian that fails at fearing the commandment they still have the life that they have in Christ, but where's the reward, you know? So there's a lot of directions that you can go in Proverbs, but let's just, let's just drill down concerning the word of God here. You've got somebody who despises it and one who takes it seriously. So there's destruction on the one hand, reward on the other, the despiser versus the fearer or the obeyer. And the thing that I want us to make sure that we don't miss tonight is the Word of God contains many warnings and many promises, doesn't it? Over and over again in Scripture, God gives us His Word because He doesn't want us to mess up and He wants us to be blessed. So there are many promises, there are many warnings. And we could look at a hundred cross-references. Let's just look at a few. Genesis 2, verse 16, here's the first one. First time it shows up. The Word of God to man very first, well, it's, technically it's the second time. Uh, be fruitful, multiply, have dominion. That's the first one. Um, make a lot of babies, be in charge. Okay. Sounds good. Make a lot of babies, be in charge. Uh, but now here is a warning. The Lord God commanded the man saying, of the tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. So there's a promise. Everything's on the menu. What a wonderful promise. Yeah, literally, God is saying to man, eat what you want. Eat everything. And they don't have a body that's contaminated by sin. These guys could probably consume like 15,000 calories a day and still just be chiseled, you know? You know, I mean, what a, what a promise. Okay, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Why is he saying if you eat the fruit of that tree, you will die? Well, because God's not willing that any would perish. That tree represents a choice of submission, of fearing the commandment of the Lord. So there's a warning. There's a promise, but there's also a warning. And if you don't heed this warning, uh, in this case, right, it, the, it, not only is there not reward, but, but it'll be the end of life in God. So you guys know the rest of that story, and we will cover it in our Genesis series on Sunday mornings. The second example, we'll just stay in Genesis, Genesis chapter four, here is a promise and a warning. Uh, 
Uh, the brothers that are born to Adam and Eve, they bring sacrifice to the Lord. One brings the, the, the fruit of his labor, and the other brings the firstling of a flock. And when we get to Genesis 4, we'll lay all that out. But at the end of the day, what God is looking for is a sacrifice for sin, not your ability to show how well you function under the curse of sin. That's what we're gonna see in Genesis chapter four. You remember, cursed is the ground for your sake. Why? Because you're a little rebel. And so you're gonna eat your bread by the sweat of your brow. And, and Cain, in the very first generation, he's mastering husbandry, and he's very fruitful, and, and so he brings the fruit of his labor. And God doesn't accept it. Cain brings a firstling of the flock, and, and God accepts it, and Cain gets mad. And instead of, instead of trading some pumpkins for a lamb, he starts hating on his brother. And so the Lord gives him a promise and a warning. The Lord said unto Cain, why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? Don't you know there'll be reward if you just do what I tell you to do? There'll be reward. And if thou doest not well, here's the warning, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. Um, we'll talk about the, t the, the argument over the two ways to take that verse and, and we'll work all of that out when we get to Genesis 4. But, but here's, the, here's the decision, Cain. You can continue in sin or you can do what I'm telling you to do. There'll be reward or you're gonna have a big problem. King Joash is a great example of this principle in Proverbs. Uh, King Joash, he was a dead baby crying and eating and pooping, okay? Uh, there is a coup and uh, Jehoiada, the priest, saves his life and, and we won't read it all. You, you can check it out in 2 Kings 11 and 12 and 2 Chronicles 24. But as long as this priest was in Joash's life, basically the way the, the, the story goes is, is he's, he's an heir to the throne and so the priest hides him so he's not slaughtered along with everybody else, hides him until he thinks the time is right to present him. Uh, if I remember correctly, he's seven years old and, and he presents him and, and uh, he's got people in league with him and it's a coordinated movement. And, and when the, this wicked queen that produces the coup finds out about it, she's rushing to the temple to, to either try to be spared or try to straighten this out. It's all too late and uh, she's taken out and so now, you know, Joash has got the high priest, Jehoiada is his discipler. I mean, he's alive because this man risked everything to hide him in the temple. I mean, the temple was probably the place to do it because this wicked queen is never gonna show up at the house of God. And, uh, and as long as he was listening to his discipler, the high priest, man, it was, I mean, they tore down the altars to Baal. Uh, God was blessing his people. Uh, there was blessing, but then eventually the, pri the, 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 the high priest dies. He gets old, he dies. And then Joash starts listening to peer pressure. He forgets what his disciple taught him. He starts producing stupid. He's not following wisdom. He's following evil as king, and uh, the high priest's son, Zechariah, 
speaks up, calls out the wickedness for what it is, and Joash kills him, has him killed for it. Killed Zechariah for just speaking up for the Lord. Zechariah's father saved this punk's life, and now he's killing his saviors, right? His savior's son, his disciple's son. I mean, what a monster. And he, it got so bad that God allows Joash to go down into destruction. His own servants killed him. There was a warning. Zechariah brought a warning. There's a warning and there's a promise. So let's think about despising the word of God, okay? There's some other ways to look at this. Verse 13 says, Whoso despiseth the word shall be destroyed, but he that feareth the commandment shall be rewarded. When you come to the word of God, do you have faith in your approach? In other words, do you have a faith-based view of the word of God? Or do you spend your time criticizing the word of God with corrupt Greek manuscripts? Do you despise the word or do you fear it? Or do you use other versions to water down the authority of God's word and to take away the weight of its commandments? This is what pastors do all the time. They will will let the different translations compete for authority and, and thereby weigh down or water down the weight of the word. Do you have a faith-based view? Do you come to the word as the word of God and let it have authority in your life or do you want authority over it? Do you despise it? Here's another question. Do you let the word stand or do you rest it to your own ends? Peter talked about people who are unstable, unlearned and unstable. They rest the scripture. And the warning that he gives is they do it to their own destruction. I don't like what the Bible says, and so I'm gonna make it, I'm just gonna say it means something else. When the text is plain, right, the book, it's pretty simple for the most part. I mean, God wrote it at a level that a kid can understand it. It says what it means, it means what it says. Well, I don't like what it says, and so I'm gonna say it means something else. Oh, that's resting the scripture. And the apostle Peter says, the word of God says it's to your own destruction. You do it when you're unlearned and unstable. Well, I don't want that rep. The book says what it means, it means what it says. I don't wanna be the guy that, that at the judgment seat, well, there's that unstable and unlearned guy that was rest in scripture because he didn't like what it said. Here's another way to put it. Do you submit to the word or do you deny it? When the word's speaking over your life, do you say, yes, sir, yes, Lord? Peter was bragging about how even though all of the other disciples would abandon, right, they would effectively deny the Lord Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word with God. The Word was God. Uh, The Word was made flesh, dwelt among us. Peter recognizes that, yeah, man, I'm submitted to the living Word. These other turkeys, they may flake out on you, but not me. Luke twenty two thirty four and he, Jesus said, I will, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before that thou hast, thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. Peter denied the living word and it broke his heart. Jonah denied the word of the Lord. How'd that work out for him? <laughs> Jonah denied the word of the Lord. Not his best year. 
Pharaoh despised, right? He denied the word of the Lord. How'd that work out for him? I wonder if in the millennial reign we can go on deep sea diving expeditions and get Pharaoh's chariots, you know, get parts for like our mantle and stuff from those chariots. Saul despised, right? He denied the word of the Lord. How'd that work out for him? God called it all out as witchcraft. It says that rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Lost his throne. Lost his son. Israel despised, despised the word of the Lord. They denied the word. How did that work out for them? Israel was taken captive, right? The 10 tribes in the north, they went down first. Assyria led the children away captive and then Judea to the south by Babylon. When you've denied the word of God in your life, how's that ever worked out for you? It just never works. The word is sure, God always keeps his promises. If I've learned anything in the last 40 years, I wanna be on the Lord's side. And the only way I can know that I am, the only way I can know that I'm at the center of his will is when I'm endeavoring to see God's word made reality in my life. If the book says it, that needs to settle it, and I need to submit to it. Got a lot of people who say, yeah, I know what the Bible says, but here's why I can't submit to it right now. And what they're describing is the on-ramp to the next chapter of failure in their life. They may not realize it, but that's exactly what's happening. It's critical that we submit, that we fear the commandments of the Lord. Verse 14, the law of the wise is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. Okay, verse 14 is a little bit different, and this is something that we need to be watching for in Proverbs. Typically, there's a contrast in these couplets, but in verse 14, the pattern goes from antithetical parallelism to synonymous parallelism. The law of the wise is a fountain of life. What does that fountain of life do for you? We're just looking at uh, um, the um, uh, tree of life a while ago in uh, verse, uh, is 12, right? Yeah, verse 12. We were looking at a tree of life. Now here it's a fountain of life. What's it, for? What's it apart from the snares of death? Well, that's what the fountain of life is, right? It's a, it's a way to, to escape death. The fountain of life is compared to the tree of life, and whenever you see how this thing works in the book of Revelation, you'll see this water of life flowing and you'll see these tree of life on the banks of this river and, and so we can, we'll, um, I don't know, we'll save it for chapter 14 or 16. Maybe I can, get the, I can get the whiteboard up and we can draw a picture. I don't know. So, uh, tree of life, just like, just like tree of life, fountain of life is a big theme in the word of God. Uh, when you find a wise person to instruct you, for example, you are blessed. Proverbs 10, 11, we've already seen this concept. Here it is, just like the tongue uh, being a tree of life, the mouth of a righteous man is a well of life. We ought to thank God for our disciplers, amen? The people who instruct us in the word of God. 
Uh, so the mouth of the righteous is a well of life. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. That's what we're seeing here in verse 14, here in chapter 13. We'll see it again in chapter 14, verse 27. The fear of the Lord, fountain of life. The law of the wise is a fountain of life, so also the fear of the Lord. Ver, uh, chapter 16, verse 22, understanding. Understanding is a wellspring of life unto him that hath it. Uh, the contrast, if there is a contrast, is the snares of death. The snares of death are shown in contrast to the, to the fountain of life, but the fountain of life exists so that you can depart from the snares of death. Uh, so while God is providing life, Satan's setting a trap for you. Proverbs, or I'm sorry, John 10.10 10 describes Satan's agenda. It's to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Christ says, I'm come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. That's why he tells the woman at the well in John chapter four, the water I've got for you, it's a well, right? It's, it's springing up, right, a, an everlasting well. It's, it's springing up to everlasting life. But Satan's at work laying traps, uh, not just for the souls of men, but also for the effectiveness of the church. In 2 Corinthians 2.11, Paul gives a warning to the church about our relationships and he says you need to roll right otherwise Satan could get an advantage of us. Uh, but that shouldn't, he says we're not ignorant of his devices and I would submit to you that too often in the church God's people are ignorant of Satan's devices because they despise one another way too easily. They throw each other away too, much too in much too cavalier a way. Uh, we don't want to be ignorant of Satan's devices. God knows that, that if, uh, it's like, it's, it's Psalm 133, you know, if God's people are living the way he designed them to, then they have the potential to operate at maximum capacity. There's a lot of variables for this, but one of the big ones is our unity. Psalm 133, it's from our unity that the blessing of God is com it's, it's commanded from that place of unity. And so Satan knows, you know, if I can get God's kids fighting with each other and despising one another, well then the Holy Spirit is grieved and the ministry has a grieved Holy Spirit, not the anointing of the Spirit. We're not ignorant of his devices. Oh, man, don't be ignorant of his devices. We, we protect unity, amen? So critical. Relationships, real relationships are hard work because people are gonna disappoint you and they're gonna do things that'll hurt your feelings and you'll be wounded. I, I, I've, lost, I've lost count. If I quit, if I quit every time I got betrayed in my life, I mean, I would've quit the ministry, well, countless times, you know? Like, uh, keep loving people. They may not be ready to be in a relationship with you, but, but don't let it be on your part. Make sure you're there for them. Um, be, waiting to, be waiting to see the relationship restored. The law of the wise is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. Um, I was uh, uh, gonna use the example of David. He was not wise, okay? He did not... Uh, follow the wisdom of the word. He messed with another man's wife. He cheated with her, right? They committed adultery and to cover it up, she got pregnant. So to cover it up, he had one of his best men effectively murdered 
Uh, so here's this man after God's own heart, living like hell. I mean, it's, it's, it's demonic what he does. And uh, here in 2 Samuel chapter 18, you see this um, horrible story in the life of David's family, and it's the loss of Absalom. And all the king cares about, this Absalom, who would have murdered his own father, is that dysfunctional in the family of David at this point. Uh, but his heart yearns on this man, who his sons betrayed him more than any other, you know. And he finds out that the kid died, the young man died, and his heart's broken. Listen to David's broken heart in 2 Samuel 18, in verse 33. He says, oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, I would God, I had died for thee, O oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Oh, well, yeah, that makes sense. David's the type of Christ. No, no, no. David recognized that the sentence of death should have been on him. You remember how he prayed? Remember how he prayed when he repented? And he had that broken and contrite spirit, but man, the wages of sin is death. And, and you remember whenever the, the, the prophet has to, has to come call him out on this. And, and you remember the story that he told him? So here's this rich man, he's got it all, and uh, he's gonna entertain, and instead of taking one from his flock, he took his neighbor's little lamb, this little lamb, it's all they had, it was, like a, it was like a pet, it was like a part of the family, and he took that lamb and butchered it for a dinner party. And the, I mean, this is after he had one of his, literally his best men killed in battle. He, he, David's incensed at the injustice of it. And uh, I put this quote in here for you from, um, this is from John Phillips. I'm a big fan of John. Um, he's just very insightful, illustrates beautifully, a great writer. What I had never noticed before, and, and John pointed this out, this is why I gave you the quote. I wanted you to have it. Uh, I don't know how I, 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 I don't know how I, ever, I never saw this before. Uh, what do we do about this wicked man that did this family so dirty? They're brokenhearted. David's incensed. And so his, uh, his judgment is, you know, he's going to pay it back fourfold. David lost four of his children. Uh, that, what heartbreak. Uh, the fruit of that adulterous union, he lost that baby. Uh, but the hardest one was this loss of Absalom. Four of his children uh, were lost. How do we escape death? How do we do that? Well, I mean, again, Proverbs chapter 13, verse 14. The law of the wise. We want... And okay, it's like I tell my kids all the time. You decide what you're going to want in life. I can't want it for you. You have to set your want to, to I just want to be with God. <laughs> what God says... I want that to be true in my life. And none of us start out following the word of God perfectly. Uh, my heart still smites me whenever I see the places where I'm, uh, you know, like, and I never knew I was in such rebellion against the word of God, you know.
what's your want to set to? Is God worth being right with? So what God's word says, that is this well, this fountain of life for us. Uh, I, I referenced it a while ago, John 4, 14. Whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Uh, you, can, you can see a similar application after the dispensation of the millennium. You'll see it in the new heaven and the new earth. Um, Jesus points humanity to himself and he says, I will give to him, unto him, that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. That's how it will work in the new heaven and the new earth. But notice, it only, it, even then, it still only works through Christ. He says, I am the alpha and the, and the omega, the beginning and the end. It's through Christ that we get access to this fountain of life. There's a snare of death, and in Adam, we inherit the susceptibility to sin because we have his sin nature. So all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's no way around it. There's no way out of it except the alpha and the omega. Well, how do we know Christ? How do we, how do we receive this water of life? It's the word. <laughs> it's the gospel that is preached. Faith for salvation comes by hearing and hearing by the Alpha and the Omega, the Word of God. It's the Word of God that is a fountain of life to the wise. You will be wise if you take heed to it. You will be wise to listen to the gospel and be born again. If you're born again, you will be wise to be a disciple of Christ. I love you. I pray that this book is a fountain of life for you and that um, it's in your mouth so that what this fountain does, this, this well of water that's springing up, that a tree of life comes out of your mouth and uh, that many are delivered. I love you. God bless you. The Lord give you wisdom. You are dismissed.